In this episode of the Cyberry Podcast, we are happy to welcome Ron Gula. Joined by Cyberry's own CEO, Ryan Corey, and President Ralph Sita, Ron Gula is the co-founder and former CEO of Tenable, who now runs Gula Tech Adventures, an investment firm that focuses on cyber companies, including Cyberry. So glad to have Ron Gula here today. Uh, thanks for joining us. Appreciate that. Ron is uh, not only an investor in Cyberry, but has also recently joined our board and has been a part of what we've been doing for several years now, since the very early days. So we're super happy to have you here. And, and uh, I think today what we're going to try to focus on for the, for the most part is going to be around investment and, and you know, what you're working on in, in the cyberspace in particular. And um, so why don't you start us off, Ron, with a uh, introduction of yourself, your background, and then what you're working on now. Ryan, Ralph, thanks for thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So a uh, long time ago, I was born in upstate New York. <laughs> and we're not going to go that far back, yeah, yeah. right? Skip right. ahead a few years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I was pretty lucky when I was in the military that my last tour was at the National Security Agency. And while I was there, nobody called it cybersecurity, but basically I was doing penetration testing and assessments of right. large government networks. Right. And I was doing this all like mid 90s. And I thought this is only something big governments do. 25 years later, I'm still doing pretty much the same things, right? Yeah. Helping people understand what's wrong with their network and what they could do to fix it and try to understand that. So, you know, along the way, I got to work for some amazing companies. I worked sure. for uh, BBN. They invented the internet. I got to work for US Internetworking. I kind of think they invented cloud hosting for for SaaS. Mm -hmm. While I was at US Internetworking, I, I was had to deal with some hackers and I was using yeah. a system called internet security systems and it was a network intrusion detection system. And I said, boy, I think I could write one kind of better than this. And I wrote one called dragon. Uh, my wife, Cindy and I, we ran that company and within 18 months of starting that company, we had sold it and had site-wide deployments at some big banks, part of the DOD America online and, and stuff 18 like that. Months. It was pretty damn quick. And, um, you know, the folks we sold it to was in Terrasis networks and the gentleman who was on the acquisition team, the business development team, Jack Hufford, we became really good friends. Right. And right. we said, boy, we should go start a company that's sort of the opposite of intrusion detection. Let's do this holistic monitoring of the network. And we started Tenable Network Security. And of course, we're probably going to talk about Tenable a good bit, but for a long story short, we're CEO there for about 16 years, left, and I really got involved. Both Cindy and I got involved with cyber investing, right. everything from startups all the way to pre-IPO companies. Awesome. That's awesome. amazing. I mean, just the fact that you started a company, sold it after 18 months and just kept rolling into the next thing. Was there ever any like, hey, let's take a little breather? Is it too, was it too early in the ballgame for that? You know, when I sold, so the first company was called Network Security Wizards. When we yep. sold yep. that, I had a lot of people tap me on the shoulder. Hey, you should have raised, you know, $30 million. We could have, we could have, you know, increased your exit and whatever. But then all the things that we're going to talk about today, you know, were very, very apparent to me. You lose control, you, you get diluted, you know, now you're kind of working for somebody else and you're not working yep. for your customers. And those yep. are, those were great lessons to learn, you yep. know, really, really early mm -hmm. on. And, you know, having done it again at Tenable, of course, not 18 months, almost 18 years, you know, we're trying to do that now with Gula Tech Adventures, where right. we're investing and trying to help that next generation of people, you know, all over the world, but frankly, a concentration here in the, the mid-Atlantic region. Yep. Yep. So obviously, Cyberry is one of the companies that that's on, on the portfolio of 
Gula Tech Adventures. Why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the other companies that you maybe recently invested in or earlier on invested in and who's exciting you right now in the portfolio? Yeah. So the big thing when we started Gula Tech Adventures was, you know, we thought about going out and, you know, raising a fund and and doing something a bit bigger, but we also wanted to start small and, and get better, um, uh, you know, giving small advice, small amounts of money. And when I, but we've really increased things over the last couple of years. So right. when we started out, we did a lot of what I considered angel or or uh, pre-Series A type investing. Sure. Now we're doing mostly Series A and we're actually funding other uh, other funds. So some of the companies that we've done that are in the the, the area, uh, right around the corner from uh, from you guys is Inky. Yep. Uh, they're phishing AI uh, email security company. Uh, up in uh, Maple Long, we not only are investors with Data Tribe and we work with sure. a lot of their companies, but also Racktop is in there. And Racktop oh, yeah, right. is a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a secure data storage. They they talk about cyber convergence. If you think about all the ways to store your data and all the things you need to bolt onto it, right. they've got it all built it in and it works in the cloud. It works on-prem. It's it's pretty cool. How long have they been around? Uh, they were, they've been around for... I, th- I think they're approaching eight or nine years. Oh, wow. And the reason I had to pause for that, because they had Racktop Federal, which was a consulting company. Gotcha. Yep. And yep. then they focused on this product company called Racktop, Racktop Systems. Gotcha. So that makes they sense. recently sold that, which is an interesting way to uh, to help raise money for your for your company. Of course, down in D.C., we've had uh, uh, Scythe. I think you guys yeah. know Bryson Bort. Yep. He's yeah, got he a great, great things about them. Yeah, a great red team uh, platform there. But I always like to say, you know, if, if you want to see if China's hacked into your network and how good you are at detecting it, just go and buy Scythe and deploy it on your network and see if people can find it. If they can, you're probably good. If you're not, you probably got some hygiene and some processes and maybe some people to to worry about there. So all sorts of of, uh, fun companies in the area. Cool. Well, um, okay. Well, Well, let me follow up on that because I'm curious. I mean, you first started investing in companies and now you're starting to fund funds. What's the difference of level of involvement that you have at both? I mean, you're talking to two founders right here. You know, neither one of us know what tomorrow's going to bring. We hope we do, but we're always looking for advice. How do you advise the fund? Are you just a passive investor? How's that work? So what, the thing that that we had to realize at, at Gula Tech Adventures is that we're really unique. We're not um, a $300 million fund where you have to have LPs and you're reporting to them and you yep. have to make big bets and get every penny back. Right. At the same time, we're not really angel uh, investors either, where we're just kind of, you know, investing a little bit of money, not really with any knowledge of, not that all angels, but, you know, a lot of angels will invest outside of their their swim lane. Yep. We are clearly staying in cybersecurity yeah. and we're trying to focus on things that we find interesting. And interesting could be an interesting founder. I think you guys are going to do, I mean, Ralph, you're on your second company right here, so to speak, right? Yep. Uh, Ryan, how old are you? 21, 22? It's close to that. Yeah, yeah you've got, you got a yeah. couple more companies in you, right? <laughs> so that's a lot of the stuff we look for in that. But at the same time, we get people pitching us on their Series B, perhaps it's sure. rally companies trying to come to the U.S. for the first time. So we also look at it, does the cyber technology make a difference for the market? And if the technology is just not something that's 5% better than the current, if it's truly an innovative thing, it's going to save, you know, the good guys from, from the bad guys, either yeah. reducing their costs or making them better mm-hmm. at what they're doing. We want to make that, uh, you know, really good. Site's a great example of sure. that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of the companies we're doing are, are they're a little contrarian. Maybe they're not full in on the cloud. They think it's going to come back. Maybe they're, they don't believe in hygiene, you know, which is, I'm a big hygiene believer, but maybe they think you've got to do more hunting. Uh, so we're, we're trying to support as much of that new stuff as we can. 
So that's the reason to also fund funds because yeah. your, your reach just widens. Basically. Yeah. So the other thing is that being, being cyber industrialists, as, as I like to call it, what we're doing at Gula Tech Adventures is we don't have a huge staff, right? So we try to co-invest with other funds. We've done a lot of work with our portfolio companies. Uh, we've also done a lot of work with companies that we're just, just really like, for example, uh, Paladin. Uh, we've done sure. two or three uh, deals with them. Uh, Clear Skies, we've done a couple deals with them. And it's nice to be able to have them bring folks from Google Tech Adventures as an outsider. Right. Mm -hmm. But also we kind of share deal flow, share industry news, yep. share things. I've yep. been invited out to some of our portfolio funds, like their offsites. And uh, you know, just get a very different perspective of the market. Right. Uh, the big thing for us is I kind of counted it all up. We're in just about 50 companies with either direct or indirect investments That's through amazing. the other funds. Yeah. So yeah. it's a great reach. Great for the region. Great for the market. Great for the region. region. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. One of the people who um, you could argue Cyberry may not even be here today if it weren't for him believing in us as our very first believer is Justin Label. And Justin recently raised a fund, which I believe you guys anchored, Gula Tech anchored that fund. Tell us a little bit about what Justin's sort of thesis and focus is and, and how you guys have been able to work together. Sure. So Justin, I consider to be not only a, you know, very, very savvy investor in cyber, but he's a professional venture capitalist, right? So he mm -hmm. worked at Bessemer yep. for, for many numbers of years. Uh, you know, his, his hit rate on companies is quite, uh, quite high. I first met him uh, when I spoke in a Mach 37 event, just as we were thinking about starting Gula Tech Adventures. And we actually co-invested in a number of companies. Like you said, he introduced me to you mm -hmm. guys here. Yep. And we also had a couple other companies that we've invested in together, including Scythe, yep. uh, including Pratigo, which just got acquired by uh, by Checkpoint. Oh, wow. And uh, it's been really good. He has the same attitude on the region that, uh, the, that we do. His approach is a little bit different than ours and a little bit different than Data Tribe. And I kind of think it takes a lot of people with a lot of different approaches approaches out there. Mm -hmm. Justin also has another foot clearly in the valley. So he will make an effort to travel out west, understand what's going on in Silicon Valley, sure. understand what kind of tech's out there. Yep. And there's a lot of differences between East Coast and West Coast cyber companies and software companies. So Justin's got a really clear uh, view of both both sides of the of the of uh, the country here. Let's expand on that because that's too interesting of a point to leave yeah. on the table. What are some of those you said you said there's a difference between sort of East Coast and West Coast cyber companies. Mm -hmm. what, what did you mean by that? So, you know, I don't want to be stereotypical and, and, and throw, you know, everybody falls into these categories, mm -hmm. right? But in general, what I see from an East Coast company is that the tech is overdeveloped before the fundraising happens. And from the West Coast uh, companies, the concept is overdeveloped before the fundraising happens. So I'll we'll, we'll really clear, clearly see some uh, companies, they'll pitch us on these amazing... Again, I don't want to like swim laying anybody's sure. products out there, but you know, stuff that we've seen before, right? Intrusion detection, orchestration, authentication, amazingly built products on the East Coast with no real concept of go to market, who the competitors are, anything like that. On the other hand, I'll see West Coast companies come out with amazing ideas, really next gen stuff and no code. Right. And no, wow. you know, maybe a PowerPoint, you know, maybe, maybe some stuff like that. And funding then, and funding in their pockets. And, and basically. Uh, they're trying to do that, do that right now. Of course, yeah. not every company fits in, but those are the, those are the, uh, the trends. So you can often raise with sort of a concept on the West coast, mm -hmm. 
Whereas you typically don't see that here on the East Coast, where if you're, if you're just a concept and you don't have any sort of uh, revenue or customer traction. Well, I think if you're you a savvy don't. investor, you really want to see both, right? You want to see a great idea with some proof. And I've actually written about this with my, yeah. you know, the, the five slide pitch deck, which we can talk about a little bit. Sure. But ultimately, I've seen a lot of these great companies, you know, the hit rate on investing is still not high, right? You have a great idea. Right. Maybe you talk to 25 companies, you get two, maybe three term sheets. I, I, don't, I don't know the last time I saw I had a company that got more than three or four term sheets at at, uh, at once. Mm. And that's usually after running a process where you're pitching five, six, seven, eight, ten people. Yep. Typically what happens is somebody's the first one to say, I'll do an investment and then that'll come along. And that'll happen for East Coast companies. It'll happen for West Coast mm-hmm. companies. But for yep. those that struggle, all the stereotypes, like very often, like an East Coast company will say, oh, there's no funding here on the East Coast. We'll go to the West Coast and they'll do 10, 15 meetings and they might get one more investor. Well, they might have done 10 or 15 meters by meetings here by going to St. Louis or up in Boston or something like that and right, get that. Right. Same thing on the West Coast. I've, I've seen a lot of people who, you know, they do the fundraising and there's usually something that's holding it back. Maybe it's valuation. Uh-huh. Maybe it's the competitiveness of what they're doing. Maybe it's the uh, long-term belief is not aligned with what the customers or what the venture capital wants. So it's, it's very interesting. But you also mentioned that on the East Coast, you've seen a trend where the product is further along developed than it would be per se on a West Coast side of the house. Is that something indicative of the Maryland, Virginia, East Coast, New York mentality? I mean, do we have to find perfection before we're um, brave enough to bring it to an investor? Is that what you're seeing? I think there's a trend there. It, it's it's changing. It's not like I never see a Maryland or a Virginian, uh, you know, startup that's that's at that this early. Because of course, you want to talk as early as possible. Yeah, sure. yeah. But a lot of times, I'll see code demonstrating proof of concept on my first meeting, and. I'll have a better sense of what the product does than what problem it solves. Gotcha. And that's that's a problem. That's definitely a problem. In fairness, though, to this region, we're new at it, right? The East Coast is new at asking for investment as opposed to the Silicon Valley, the west, the left side of the. Hemisphere. In particular, our region too, DC, yeah. kind of. Yeah, there's a couple couple forces driving that. Like so, Maryland, you know, was the center of venture capital, right? You had NEA, basically, um, you know, born here in Maryland. Right. Uh, you have uh, Greenspring here now. These are mm-hmm. old, you know, huge funds that the problem is when you make a lot of money, it's kind of hard to focus on the small things because you only can put a little bit of money to work. So you have to do indirect sure. investing. Yep. And then you're having that same problem out West. So constantly I will get calls from other funds. Hey, Ron, can we do a, a, a uh, can we do an introductory meeting? Can we share some deal flow? It'd be nice to work sure. on some things together because it's so hard to get those, those are from VCs, VCs, outreaching other to you, funds. funds. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I was going to say your inbox, your, your cell phone has got to be busy quite a bit with it, just those inbound reaches. But it's a lot of fun. I, I try to take yeah. it very personally and try to have good conversations and try to, you know, cause sometimes it's like, you know, companies, companies can do all the right things and the market changes. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Well, if the market yeah. changes, maybe if you know, you know, it's like you might like Italian food, you might like seafood, you know, so you want to invest in those kind of restaurants. Well, if there's a burger joint that flips to an Italian food, I know to call Ryan. It's the, literally the same thing with venture capital. If you kind of know what people like or what they don't like, you can kind of be a lot more efficient about doing these introductions and trying to grow the ecosystem. That's a, that's a great point. A lesson that we certainly learned kind of early on in, in raising money. I, you know, Cyberary to date has raised $23 million dollars. Um, a lot, uh, you know, a lot of time was spent on the fundraising process. And so 
um, as we kind of went down that path, you know, we would take meetings with basically anybody, any, any fund that reached out to us. And what you come to realize is some of them just don't play the same ball game as you. They're not looking for your type of thing yet. You're, you're wasting some time. Or they're looking Speaking for something with two years, three years down the road too, which is hard to believe when we were trying to raise money that they would take those types of interviews. Right, and, right, we, right, well, and that's about building relationships yeah, too. Yeah, right? no, I but, get it. Yeah. And if, in your guys' case, uh, you know, not only are you a cyber company, but you're also a training education company. So there's a lot of funds out there that would would be interested in those kind of things. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's good. So a company like uh, like Huntress Labs. Yeah. So Kyle, I mean, so clearly it's an endpoint, you know, malware, you know, uh, EDR type product. But at the same time, they're focused on the MSP, yep. you know, the small IT. There's a whole other set of investors who might be interested in having a piece of that platform sure. just because of how they're focused on small business. Sure. That makes sense. So you mentioned something pretty interesting, which I'd love to, to hear you talk about the five slide pitch deck. And also would love to hear your perspective on, you know, you're not obviously not investing in every company that you meet with. So what, what are you looking for when you go in to make a cyber investment? So we got like, what, five minutes to cover that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Third, yeah. So when, um, you know, when Tenable, it went public uh, 18, I almost said last year, but welcome to 2020, gentlemen. Welcome to 2020, right. right. Um, you know, when we went public, we actually had a couple fundraising efforts and, you know, we had raised a good bit of money on, sure. on, on the way up there. And, you know, you go and you do these meetings and then almost like after a football game, you sit down with your coaches and try to figure out what you did. It's all about time management. If you're going to go in and pitch a fund, what are you going to say first? You know, literally the chit chat that you do about maybe the Ravens or politics is, is daylight you're burning doing that. Sure, so it's the sure. same thing when you just have a slide deck. If somebody emails me a 30, 40, 50 page slide deck, Oof. and I get those like once or twice a We've week. We've all seen them. Yeah. yeah. How long do you think I'm going to read that? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. or so it's tough. And out of frustration one day, I'm like, look, all I really, really want are these five things. Now, of course, who you are, where you live, you know, what you're, that's important. Yep. It's not the first thing you should see. If you've right. been on CNN, that's awesome. It doesn't mean you're a, a great product uh, evangelist or a right. product manager, right. right? So the five things are real simple, right? So what, one is what problem do you solve? Real simple. You Very have a simple. hard time getting people to say, what problem do you solve? Why should I buy your product, right? Mm -hmm. Second thing is how do you solve it? Yep. You know, yep. and that a lot of times people confuse those things. They'll lead with the, how do I solve this problem before you know, describing the problem. The problem. Yeah. Um, the third thing is I want some sort of proof. I don't care what the proof is. It could be a patent. It could be a pilot. It could be a demo of, of this. And I've had all these kind of things uh, I've done with me. Fourth thing, what are you going to do with the money? You know, what are you sure. asking for the money? What do you, you know, what do you want? Yep. Um, and it doesn't yep. have to be a full, you know, 99 point, point plan. It's like, hey, we want to raise half a million dollars to hire three developers, three salespeople and sure. get us to our series A. I want a concise, tweetable statement. Yeah, you know, like that makes that. sense. But then the last thing's a little bit more open. It's like, what is your vision here? Are you, is, do you have a sense that this is an acquisition? for your feature for somebody else's platform? Are you gonna build a public company? Are you gonna open source? Is, is your business model such that you're, you're, you're gonna open source something yet still make some, some good money so the world can benefit from this? What vision do you want? Mm -hmm. And and part of that also is what's the vision for you and your family and your, your employees and your company? Sure. And those are the five things I'm kind of looking for. I love that last one. I love the, the, sure. the fifth one with uh, getting them to sort of paint you a vision for where this thing could go and then the outcome 
outcomes that are attached to that, because I think that's that's one of the key things in 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 maintaining a focus of being successful and building a company is you really do have to have this broader picture. And if you don't have that in mind, you're not marching towards something all mm-hmm. in the same direction together as a team. So that's super interesting. Could have used those five points about five years ago, Ron. Where were you? Yeah, right. Yeah. He, was, he was busy working. Yeah, getting tenable above uh, yeah. 150 million in revenue or so. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You, you get a pass. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, okay, so then let the second part of that there. What, what are you looking for in a in a in a in an investment? You see a lot of decks. Yeah. What what you know? What is it that that sort of gets you over the hump to invest in a company? So you know, the return is important, but it's not the driving factor, right? If we gotcha. think we're going to make money on a company, uh, I mean, the gods blessed us. We're we're doing quite well at the Gulas. Um, you know, so if we see a company that uh, is fun, yep, is has got people that we can trust, um, people that uh, are going to do something after, uh, you know, after this this round. Like one of the, this is the thing I say, and you'd be surprised how often it doesn't. The best thing somebody can say to us during a pitch is, "Hey, once we're successful, we want to go and invest in other companies." As well, I, I get that every now and then. Gotcha. I, can, I can test that a little bit, but that's that's usually what we like. Yeah, and we've had um, a number of our portfolio companies invest in in other companies. I think you invested yep. in um, Nano VMs. Nano VMs. Yep. Thank you. Uh, very very good. Very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's good. It, it gives you a broader sense of uh, of that. And then you know, is the problem that's being worked on a tough problem? Something that's desired to be sure. worked on? I mean, the world does not need a I don't want to get, I've been so wrong on so many different things. Like, like we're never done in this. Right. So, (laughs) so if you can convince me that the world needs another thing, then, then I'm, I'm good. I'm good with that. I certainly don't think that we are oversaturated with solutions. The, the awareness of what is needed is, um, is, is what's lacking. So I do think there's a lot more room for a lot more innovation, a lot more problems that need to be solved. Sure. That's great. And we're going to talk more about the future of cyber and what that could look like mm-hmm. and, and kind of the direction you've seen it go in. It probably just, it's evolved so much just in the last few years as well. Um, but so I got, I got your concept then for what you're looking for in the company itself. What about the founders? What about the people that you're investing in? What, what qualities are you looking for in them? So I'm looking for, you know, trustworthiness. I'm looking for, can they communicate? Uh, do they have a certain sense of being consistent? So do they say the same thing to an investor that they might say to the media, that they might say to their co-founders, and they might say to their their, their company and their customers? It's really hard to do all that. Uh, imagine if you have children and you're married, you know, you'd know you like to be able to talk to your kids and your your spouse the, the same way. It's hard to do, right? There's different levels of understanding. There's different sure. levels of content. Yep. It's the same thing. Uh, what one of the the classic things about being a good CEO uh, and a good founder is to be able to just to be consistent in message. Mm. And the more consistent you are, the more likely everybody else is going to take your message and amplify it and mm. not dilute it with little nuances of what uh, what they have. I used to be really against this. Like I never really wanted to give people talking points or you know tell them what to say. But the reality is, is the more consistent you can be in what you're what you're doing as a leader the the more likely people are going to hear it and repeat it and move on so we want all that that kind of stuff uh you know i was lucky enough to be somewhat technical and somewhat of a a business so i do like to see commonizations of that in our founders people who are 100 percent tech and struggling with communications and leadership and you know thinking being able to take risks and take chances that's that's tough um, sometimes it's depending on what you're doing. It's the, the right person for the right, the right solution though. So you're looking for, um, potential red flags on like emotional quotient type stuff. Like, 
um, or emotional yeah, gonna, intelligence type was, stuff. And yeah, I was just going to ask that. I mean, you want a consistent message from your CEO, but does sometimes there's empathy. I mean, can consistent message and empathy coexist when you're a CEO? I mean, you don't want to be wishy-washy and, and so on, but uh, I mean, I get what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. I, and again, as being a founder of startup businesses, the ones that I bootstrapped, when I've been involved with people and clients a lot, empathy always played a really big part in my role sure. in all that. Sure. Maybe to my um, you know, uh, negative side a little bit, and my message wasn't always consistent. Just elaborate just a little bit more on that for me. Well, it's, it's very, it's okay to be personable. I mean, mm-hmm. it's absolutely okay to be personal, have a good relationship with your, with your employees. Right. The question is, is when you walk out of that room and if you can't, you know, be there for another month, what message did you leave them? And, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't mind being, being both, be somewhat personal, empathetic, understand. Of course, you want to build culture. You want to mm-hmm. do all those kind of great things. Yep. Yep. The question is, is. You know, if you're a little bit of a one-off on your core message, you know, with everybody, then nobody has your core message. Got it. Yeah. So you, at some point, had to transition from really being a tech guy to being a, a leader of a company, a CEO, right? What um what what do you think made you particularly good at that transition? And and maybe also, which side of the house did you like better? If there was one that you liked better. So I really enjoy. I mean, I was lucky uh, at, at at Tenable, and that's that's something else I look for in other companies. Is that you know, is the founding team a team that can work together? Sure. Can they build a team? So I was really lucky at Tenable, right? So I had I had Jack Hufford. Yep. I had Renaud Darrison. So Jack mm-hmm. was president, uh, very business focused. Um, you know, I can still remember attending his first Black Hat together, just showing him like the opportunity in this kind of market and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Renaud Darrison. Uh, you know, the author of Nessus, CTO, Tenable right now, uh, you know, amazing technical person. And we would have a lot of conversations about certain features, certain things like that. I also had Cindy. So Cindy Gula was, uh, was the head of ops. So she had done almost every job you could do inside Tenable as we were getting bigger. Gotcha. And, you know, when I think back of that, you know, uh, somebody who didn't have all those different pieces in their, in their org charge part of their team, they're either going to have to do them themselves or quickly get people who can, can, can switch those things out. So I definitely like to see people who can surround themselves with that. Yeah. Now, as far as myself, you know, leadership versus, uh, being technical, you know, I, I had, I really enjoyed the, uh, you know, all of my time at Tenable, but I almost had like the first 10 years, right? Cause the first 10 years I could almost name everybody at the company, yeah. you know, and I would walk around, I'd see people and, you know, Cindy's usually better than me at the names and stuff like that. But I really enjoyed walking around and seeing, now that's not everybody's style. Um, some people find it a little intimidating. Like I still remember I, I would dress very casual jeans, you know, black t-shirt, that kind of thing. And I'd be on an elevator and I'm, I was welcoming a new employee and he literally said, well, what do you do here? <laughs> you know, and I'm, oh, like, yeah. I'm the CEO, you know, it's that kind of thing. So that's, that's a culture and style and, and, and it's, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thing I really enjoyed, I, you know, remember like mid 2010, 2015, anytime we did a roadmap meeting, uh, I had some really good product leaders, really good technical leaders, and uh, they would come in and give us like the wiring diagrams of what was next. And yeah. and I, I really enjoyed that quite a bit. And it really set me up for supporting so many companies today because I can ask them at their roadmaps and talk about things technically still to this day. So I really enjoy that. Could you have done the same or similar CEO role at Tenable that you did without that baseline knowledge that you had as an engineer as a technical guy? It's a great question. 
I, I think it's possible. So Amit, who took over for me, very technical, you know, came from the MSSP, mm-hmm. MSSP space, mm-hmm. uh, running mm-hmm. RipTech, ran RSA, definitely exposed to lots of different, uh, you know, technologies out there. When I was interviewing a lot of other uh, CEOs for for Tenable, though, I, I had your typical like sales leader who are great communicators, great culture builders, and great answering that first question, you know, what problem do you solve, but pretty light on the engineering thing. And, mm-hmm. and that's, I, I, that's not my style. And uh, I was really glad that Amit was interested in the, uh, the Tenable CEO job. Uh, Cause I think you need this balance. And gotcha. I think more than once I ask you guys like, okay, technically, how are you guys doing here? You know, what, what is this? What is that? And it, yeah. whether it's the technology of your platform at Cyberry, the technology of how your sales model works, how your go-to-market works, how your your partners work, yeah, and that sort critical. of it's it's just as complex as any cyber product. Sure, sure, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, our company really took a turn for the better when we had really solid technical leadership in place. So we hired Mike, our VP of, of engineering, also our CISO, um, and and Mike really was able to transform the company by just bringing great technical people in around him and assembling that, and that's really helped us a ton grow as a company over the last, I would call it two years. Absolutely. Something like that. So let's, let's turn to the investor side of the table from the operator side. Um, so you're, you're an investor now, you're an investor in us. I think you've been a great one. Um, I, w- I always kind of highlight you as being good at, uh, you know, strong advice because you have so much experience operating. Um, but also you make really great, um, uh, relationships or introductions for us that have really moved the needle for the company. So those are a couple of aspects that make you particularly good at what you do. I would love to hear from your days of being, you know, CEO. What what um, you worked with a lot of investors. It was a little bit later stage in the company at when you when you brought on investors. But what to you then stood out as making somebody a really good investor? So you know, Tenable. So we raised money from uh, a couple different folks. Like we had some great founder founding. I'll say founding angel investors. I don't know we've ever disclosed who they were, so I'm not on on offhand. I'm not going to say they're gotcha. folks from yep, the no folks from the industry. Though I'll say okay. it like that, and they were very very useful um, in terms of like when we close sourced Nessus, how did we communicate that? And this is when we really sort of got into this this notion of the advice we got was this is a really really hard thing that we're doing. We're communicating to our employees, to the public, to the sure. open source. You know yep. that was that was great. Yeah, and. Um, you know, so that was that was a really good use of, of that. As we got larger, we raised money from Excel Partners, and they brought sort of that that West Coast grow big men- mentality. Sure, and they were spot on. I mean, they gave us a lot of really good advice at the at the beginning about how to think about large communities. So some of the stuff I shared with you guys about uh, Cyberry's large community of of uh, you know cyber uh, trainees out there. Yep, we had very similar numbers with uh, Nessus free users out right. there, and they right. thought about that. And then as we got bigger, uh, you know, we raised another round from uh, from Insight. That was the really large round we did just before uh, we went we went public. Yep. And Insight's game was a little bit different than Excel's in that they were a larger fund, they had a little bit more scale and sophistication. Mm-hmm. So they would introduce us to people like CTOs of Fortune 20 companies. Wow. And and I was happy to take those those meetings, but I was totally not prepared for it because when you're meeting the CTO of like a major motor company, of course you got to make hey, but you know the person who's worried about security or cyber sure. might be four or five or six levels down in the org chart. Right. So you're almost landing a bit too high. So after hearing all that, you know people who work. I mean, literally these these, these venture capital funds have full time staffs who do nothing but track CISOs 
track CTOs, track you know people in the community who can be very helpful in what you're doing. And I learned from that. That's what I try to do when I make an introduction. I really want to make sure that it's something that's going to help you. Right. And there's a very clear reason why I'm doing an introduction. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so some lessons that you've learned over the years, um, you know, you were kind of, you were an operator for a long period of time and now you're what, three years in, two years into being a full-time investor, basically. Absolutely. Something like that. So, um, does anything look differently now that you're an investor when it comes to building a company that maybe didn't look the same to you, uh, at the, as the time of being a CEO? So, you know, when I was a CEO, you're responsible for everything. Sure. You're responsible for whatever your employees do, whether yep. it's good or bad. Yep. And how you manage that is the difference between being a CEO and and, uh, and not being a good CEO, right? Yeah. As an investor, you're basically available, but you're not responsible. Sure. And I, I really like, I spend a lot of time talking to other venture capitalists. They're like, look, you're a CEO. You are not running these companies. You know, so you can go in and give advice. They might take it. They might not take it. Don't take it personally. Sure. And yep. and that's one of the reasons we're able to scale. Any given time, I know that there's some sort of strategic issue that we have not overcome yet for any particular company. I've got that for every company I ever invest in, right? Yep. There's this other thing they could do that they haven't done yet. Don't ask me what yours is. I'm not going to go into it right now, right? <laughs> yeah. you, you, wouldn't, right. you might not like my answers, right? But it's 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 probably not, not, uh, not, not too far out. But then um, not being responsible, but being available, it really allows you when something does go wrong to really frame things quickly. And I've had more than once where I've been on the phone with a founder, something's happened. They've lost a head of sales. I've had a CEO die, you know, which, which is, which is unfortunate, but part of life I've had people get sued. I've had people, you know, have founders where they've had disputes and, and stuff like that. Mm And you can, if you, if you have that sort of strategic view of what's going on with the industry, right. any of these techno, technical problems that come up or tactical problems, you can be a better sort of listener. You've seen them before. Seen them before. Yeah. It's not the first time. Right. You know, you're still founders of an amazing company, right? Yep. It's, it's, yep. there's, a lot, there's always ways to say really good things. That's neat. Yeah. That's neat. So maybe we can pivot here into cyber. Let's get back into cyber. Um, and, and would love to hear, you know, obviously we've watched the landscape move so fast. In fact, cyber talks about that all the time. What, you know, cybersecurity is the fastest moving landscape in the world. Uh, new attack vectors are opening up in, in organizations and any, anywhere else, you know, every day. So um, for you, what have you kind of seen the evolution of the industry be over the last three years as an investor? And then where do you sort of see things going? So I, the way I look at the world, I, I participate in a couple different things, like the Cyber Moonshot. Mm-hmm. I do a bunch of different things, you know, voluntarily for a number of different diff- different groups. Right. The way I talk about it is there's this cyber poverty line mm-hmm. where above the cyber poverty line, people have two things. They have hygiene for whatever their tech is, whether it's mobile, cloud, they, sure. they've got some sort of defendable, that, and maybe it's PCI, maybe it's MITRE ATT&CK framework, maybe it's NISA. You would have a conversation with them like, yeah, those guys are doing good. They, the thing that they also have though, is they have the ability to hunt. They have the ability to know that even with all the hygiene in the world, they have to audit continuously, they have to hunt continuously, they have to look for things. So there's so many ways you can get attacked. And basically, if you're not hunting and you don't have good hygiene, you're below what I call the cyber poverty line. And that could be because maybe you've done an underinvestment in cyber. Maybe you're unaware of these problems. And when you think about being below the poverty line and then having to deal with the cloud or Gmail or mobile or GDPR or 
you know, whatever's coming, yeah. coming along, right? No wonder we're having such a hard time. So a lot of times when I look at RSA and I look at all the com- companies that are out there, and even just look at what I get pitched on, I'm looking for people who can fill in gaps both above and below that poverty line. There's, there's plenty of ways to help people grow a good business and make a difference in both of those different areas. Sure. It's interesting too, because you talk about that poverty line. And if you're dealing with a large credit card company, then you have to start worrying about, well, are they dealing with companies that are below the poverty line? So indirectly, yeah. now you just become a susceptible, you know, to their hygiene and their lack of. So, um, you know, your your world of who you have to deal with is just expanded and you don't even know that. So watch your own house, I guess, is the lesson to kind of learn. And, and so not only do you have that to kind of frame the, the world, but then you also have the changes in the market, right? So we've had a huge growth in the stock market this year. I don't think we have a recession coming, which probably means there's going to be a recession now. So if you don't want to take advice just, from Ron Gula, you can hey, do that. Yeah, right? Tommy, sell my stocks. That's right. Yeah. And, um, but you're seeing things like, you know, MasterCard just bought Risk Recon. Yep. Yeah. You know, so this is a credit card company. They just bought a third party risk company. Yeah. 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 You know? how many great companies have taken private equity in the last couple of years? You know, they, uh, it used to be private equity was the, the, the place you could go if you couldn't go public or raise right. a grant. Yep. Now there's Second some choice. really good private equity. And cause yeah. there's a lot of people who are be like, you know, I really could use some more cash and I really don't want the burden of being a public company. It's not that, not that, that good for me. So the, the yep. world has changed mm-hmm. and, you know, part of that technology moving so fast, like the cloud, like what's Amazon going to do next is causing companies like Palo Alto and Checkpoint. Well, like Checkpoint buying Pertigo is a great example sure. of that, right? So Pertigo is a product that only works pretty much with serverless security. So, so you know, Amazon as it is. And, you know, people like Checkpoint are willing to pay up for it. Palo was willing to pay up for uh, PureSec. And uh, so the point is, is that there's the market's moving so fast, the buyers are also changing. Sure. I think the last thing that's really going to change with cyber is yeah. people are a lot more aware of how it affects them personally. You know, everybody knows Alexa's listening to, you probably don't even have an Alexa in this room, but it's probably listening to us some, <laughs> somehow, right? Right, right. There's so much data being collected on us. And, you know, for the first time, you're kind of seeing public, um, public acknowledgement of offensive cyber which happened last year for the first time. It's a, it's, yeah. it's a real weapon yeah. and it's probably going to proliferate not only to the FBI, not only to our state and local, yep. but probably private investigators. Yeah. So, yeah. so the world that we live in, you know, is it going to be like this, one of these cyberpunk uh, kind of dystopian, you know, futures, or is it going to be a little bit more uh, where things are secure and they just kind of work? I, it's, it's, it really looks like it's trending towards the dystopian. Those who don't invest in their cyber mm-hmm. uh, are going to get owned really quick and not, might not even know it. Wow. Wow. Fascinating. Um, maybe, uh, transitioning in, I know we've got just a little bit of time left. Um, we're coming up uh, towards the end here, the skills gap. I know that you've been somebody who you've been talking about that and people ask you about it all the time. What are your general thoughts? What do you see? Is it, is it a skills gap? Right. And if so, what does it look like? And, and, uh, and what are you seeing there? Yeah. So uh, a couple things. There was a couple conferences I've done to recently where about a third of the attendees were women. Uh, so one of the, actually I said a conference, so I was invited to go to um, uh, Hacker Trivia Night over oh. at uh, Jailbreak, which is sponsored by uh, Booz Allen's oh, cool. uh, Dark cool. Labs. Yeah. And you look around this room and, you know, if this was 10 years ago, it would have been 
men yep. in hoodies, yep. you know, that yep. kind of thing. This, when we went the other night, I, I got to say about 25%, if not more, were young women. Wow. And, wow. and, and I, when I say young women, I mean younger than me, right? Yeah. So there's like women in their 40s, 35, 45. I was very happy with that. That's great. And uh, I've just, I've seen a lot more uh, leaders out there who, uh, who, who are coming from different diversity sure. in, in cyber, which is really yep. good. Yep. Now, do we have this gap? Yeah, we got a gap. And, but the way I frame it, I go back to that um, cyber poverty line. So those below the poverty line might not, they're, they're, they're under investing in IT, let alone cyber. Sure. You know, yep. so there's an opportunity to help everybody there yeah. or educate them to go to more scalable solutions like cloud solutions and, 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 and whatnot. But then even in a large enterprise, if you're good, you know, there's a lot of people who change jobs. It's so common to lead a red team here and then go to another company, you know, after a couple of years because they're willing to pay up. Sure. Because there's yeah. a there's a real limit of the number of people who can do those That's things. Right. That's right. But those are two different kind of skills. You're not going to learn how to be run a run a red team at a major bank overnight. You got to work your way up the, up right. that uh, that thing. Right. I think my last comment on the skills gap is just the industry's done a poor job of getting people into it. Like if 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 you said you were going to go be a doctor. Sure. I know exactly. I might ask you, you think in cancer, you think in general practice, the general public has a good sense of that. They know the difference between a doctor and nurse, yeah. and someone who's yep. researching a cure for cancer. But if I said I was going into cyber, there's a big difference between a CIO, an IT manager, somebody who's patching systems, somebody who's looking at logs, yep. somebody who's doing your yep. compliance yep. audit. Right. And the general public still kind of gets a little bored when you talk about those kind of things. Sure. And until we kind of make that real and make it more personal, I think we're always gonna have this skills gap. People are always gonna be wondering, what should I do? What am I missing out on? And I think one of the reasons I love Cyberary is because you guys do such a good job of exposing people to all these different disciplines. Right. Maybe I can try forensics. Maybe I hate it. Yeah. Maybe I take an audit course. I go, you know what? I kind of get this audit course and I understand how it relates to the cyber now. It's one of the big reasons I'm an investor and I'm a big fan of being on your board and working with you guys. Yeah. Thanks for that too. And oh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's definitely in our mission. You know, we wanted to, we, we saw the exact same thing. It was a, it was a far too great friction th that existed in getting into the field. Right. So like you just mentioned like different pathways that you can go down in cyber. You don't even have to necessarily be technical to be in this field. Right. I mean, governance, risk, and compliance. You don't have to be all that technical to understand, you know, a lot of the concepts but they're that are bite-sized. We've made them bite-sized, for lack of better words. We've given people different career paths where they can follow. It's just not cyber. It's just not this very big and overwhelming thing. Well, yeah, you thing. can go any any direction and, right. and, you know, sort of vet them all out, see if you're going to have an interest layer there, and if, if so, double yep. down on one. Yep. But the, the friction to get into the space and then also the friction to transition into other parts of the space was super high. I mean, it... You know, you can't you can't get into the field by going and taking a uh, one week course for seven thousand dollars and think that you're job ready and, and work role ready in this space. So with our mission, it was really to, to remove the friction so that we can bring way more people into this space at a scalable at a scalable rate. And that's and, why we give so much knowledge away. And for it free. supports the concept of continuous learning. Yeah. Right. Like I'm right. a big fan. Absolutely. Like, yep. If I got to get a certification, Critical. great. I'm going to come take a class, sit and, and get it, get it done and pass that thing. Yeah. But what about the next thing and the right. next thing? Right. You got to know you're not thing. done there. Exactly. You know, Especially more. in cyber. Yeah. Especially as, as fast moving as it is. Yeah. Uh, for sure. So I think you'll be uh, delighted to hear that t starting tomorrow here on the, t the engineering team and the product development team, the ability um, of the talent model for cyber is going to start being worked on. So the, the 2.67 million users that we have now, 
the people that are there, you know, continually developing skills will soon have a way to be found by employers. Right. So it's going to start being built tomorrow. Good. Congratulations. Dedicated dedicated team that we're just going to say, guys, get it done. Here, go build, go build. Go build it. Yep. So, yep. Um, well, that's that's great. Did you have anything else? I, I did. I mean, you know, I'm I'm still amazed at you know you and Cindy. I mean, Cindy, God bless her, super super sweet and intelligent person. In what you guys do at Gula Tech Adventures, you know, you're looking at investments, you're talking to founders, people are coming to you all the time. Have there been disagreements? Have there been times like, hey, Ron, I want to invest in this. No, Cindy, that's not a good idea. Or Cindy, I want to invest in this. No, Ron, it's ludicrous. Uh, do you, each of you have a little card in your back pocket that, hey, this is our one pass, you can't argue? How do you do that? So we we try to work uh, pretty closely as far as where the companies are at and what we can do to help them, and whether it's an introduction or, or, or that. If we don't invest in somebody, I always try to give some feedback as to why, but I'll never tell them. Uh, yeah, Cindy didn't like you, or I didn't like you, or right. you know, we 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 didn't like how you got set up, or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I'll try to couch that in a much more positive, you know, kind kind of way. Sure. Uh, but the reality with with you know fifty kind of companies that we can kind of see into, I, I got to tell you, I mean, all fifty are doing great. Not one of them has any problems, right? Wow. Right. So, well, I wish, right? <laughs> right. Don't say so. Sorry. Well, no, well, of course. <laughs> but my my point is is you know if things aren't going well. How do you deal with that, right? Do you ignore them? Do you spend time on them? Because one of the one of the big things you have to do is you have a limited amount of time. Yeah, you know. So if a company is doing extremely well, and you know they're on track to five x or ten x your investment, can you work on them a little bit more and maybe get it to fifteen or twenty x, right? Mm-hmm. Versus right. a company that you might lose money, work just as hard on, and maybe get your money back. You know, and and so we try to balance that. We yeah. try to really, especially because it's just me and her, we haven't staffed up. And, uh, you know, so we have to be very, very, you know, selective about who's learning, who's listening and who, who we can help. Gotcha. And the, I think, you know, what the world of investment is starting to realize, too, is that that doubling down on your winners Absolutely. tends to be the, the right way to, to sort of think about things. Yeah. Right. If you could, because there's so much uncertainty in the early stages right. of a business that once you've kind of reached past a certain point as a business, you, you, you know relatively well that the business is going to at least have some sort of reasonable outcome with a high likelihood. Yeah, we put, we put a lot of information on our, our website, gula.tech, T-C-H. Yep, yep. What we haven't done is like, we don't, since we don't have any LPs or we're not publicly, you know, entity, we don't tell you like, oh, we did, you know, like I think technically we've invested in Cyber four times, you know, a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Scythe, we just, uh, we're, we're putting another round in, in, in there. Inky, we did, we did more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Polarity, we did more. Um, you know, so it's, it's, that's a testament when you invest further on and further sure. on. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's something I hope for all of our companies. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, this was great guys. Appreciate you doing this. Yeah, um, Ron, absolutely. where can people, uh, maybe interested companies who want to talk to you or any, anybody like that, where can they reach you? Where can they find you? So I'm Ron Gula. That's G U L A on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm also, uh, LinkedIn, uh, also Ron Gula. And uh, if you want to just unsolicit, send us something, you can send it to investor at gula.tech. That's also listed in the bottom of the website at uh, gula.tech. Okay. Well, Ron, thank you very much for your time today. Ralph, this was great. Yeah, absolutely, Ron. Always great to have you here at Cyber. Happy New Year. Hey, thanks. Cyberry out. Yep. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.